Well, amen, and <clears throat> thank you so much for letting me be with you. We welcome those streaming online. You're just as much a part of us. And those in the uh, family center, welcome to you as well. But most of all, praise God, Jesus Christ is in this room right now. Those songs remind us of who He is and who we are in Him, and His blood is greater than all of our sin and weakness, and we're loved and accepted, and what a Savior we have. Well, I am very grateful to your pastor for allowing me this privilege. You know, I talked to a lot of pastors over the years, and you can just hear in yours a real vision and a desire to see God do a fresh work and an excitement about what He is doing. You all have weathered this COVID thing more than, better than most. You really have excited about that strategic building or the land, at least, that you have. And it's good to have a vision, isn't it, that you're going somewhere. God is up to something. He's not only moving among you now, but He wants to complete that which He's done in us. We have a great, loving, powerful God to whom nothing is impossible. Well, I'm Greg Frizzell, and uh, now I'm going to go ahead and clear this up because people over 60 always ask me, are you any kin to the famous old country music singer, Lefty Frizzell? Actually, we are distantly related, but you can relax. I will not try to sing country music to you. If I did, you'd need prayer for your ears. Could we leave it there? Uh, you know what I mean? And Lefty would probably roll over in his grave. But I always get asked that, so I thought I would address that. And also, my accent is a combination of Tennessee and Oklahoma and Texas. I don't know what that is, but we're family. Yet the, one of the great blessings I have going all over the world, different languages, different people, we're family. And we, we are, as Christians, family with a blood that's deeper than human blood. So that's pretty awesome what God's made us to be. And um, I want to bring you some good news. We hear a lot of bad news today, but around the world, different places, God is igniting people like your phrase is. That's a great phrase. He's igniting a fresh joy, even in persecution. Uh, he, he's igniting a fresh power that people in those places are seeing a lot more prayers answered. They're seeing People come to Jesus at work when they might get put in jail for doing it. I mean, it's just phenomenal. And in this country, there's a little group of people, a little remnant, not the majority. They're having fresh touches of God. That's exactly what you're praying for. And God says, you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. So it's exciting to know you're in the right direction. And, and God's in His mercy is going to do a fresh new work. So I'm so honored to be here because it's kind of a time for spiritual preparation where we get our hearts ready to be ignited. And that always comes through the prayer life. It always comes through allowing the Lord to take us a little deeper so that He can turn the power on. A lot of times we just we need a fresh power turned on. So if you will, take your Bible and turn to Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, Jeremiah 29, 11. You'll know that promise. There's a very famous promise there. But there's a prayer principle that, frankly, I missed for many years that really is life-changing. What happens to many of us in busy America, we don't mean to, but we get a little bit we're coasting. It's, it's maybe not bad. It's kind of like we're in first or second gear. We're, we're, we're growing a little, seeing a little blessing, but it's not 100 miles an hour, and it's not overdrive. This passage shows us how to let God take us to spiritual overdrive where He's able to flow in power, answer prayers in a mighty way, 
Help us get over the bondages, the unclean thoughts, the anger, the fear that gets a grip on us, the bitterness that can get a hold of us. And that's what I'm seeing around the world. When people get a hold of what we're calling in this, this verse, God-seeking, heart-yielding prayer. There's a big difference in just asking prayer, God bless me, God fix this, and God-seeking, heart-yielding prayer. And it's not out of reach. We can all do it. But there's certain principles we have to move to to let that power explode in us. So even if you don't have a quiet time right now, uh, God can show you how to have one, and it's not overwhelming. And even if you have one, God can show how it can go from second gear to overdrive. Now, this is a very personal message to me. I'll tell you why, because uh, God sent me to a church, my first church out of seminary, that was known as the Chernobyl of the church world. <laughs> it really was the worst moral, spiritual battle, legal battle in the history of Southern Baptist Convention at that time. And praise God, it happened before I got there. I didn't cause it, okay? You're wondering, what'd you do, you know? <laughs> um, but God just worked so mightily through what we're about to talk about right now and turned that church around before the battles were over. And in my life, a little bit later, I got Lyme's disease from a tick bite. I was out fishing. And uh, they didn't know what I had, so I didn't get the right treatment. And it ended up doing devastating neurological damage. I told the group last night, in other words, it did really serious brain damage. People say, oh, we can tell, Brother Craig. <laughs> well, it wasn't the kind that would make you unintelligent, but it did wreck my energy. I just couldn't hardly function. And they did all they could do, and they said, uh, you're going to have to quit pastoring. You can't preach anymore like that. And they, and they were right. And they said, you can forget about writing any more books. And they were, I just didn't have the mental, mental energy. And I was begging God to heal me. Now, a lot of times he'll heal you, but do you remember what he told Paul about his thorn? Paul begged God three times, remove this thorn. Remember what God said? He said, nope, I'm not removing your thorn. But he said, I'm going to give you grace. And that's what God told me. And I have to be honest, I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> But God showed me how to take my prayer life a little higher, and he'd already done it once. See, he keeps doing it. If we'll let him, he'll continually take us higher. I didn't know it, but I got began to coast. So God did a, a fresh work in my prayer life through this passage, and that's over a thousand conferences and three million miles and books in 40 languages, and I'm not even a good writer. So, folks, he can take the weakest of us and the most unworthy of us, because none of us are worthy, and he really can do powerful things. I can honestly say I've had more joy than I ever had when I didn't have pain since, since this lesson we're about to talk about has become more real. I'm not perfect in it. I have to come back to it. But this is a very special passage to get us ready for what God's going to do down the road here and even now. And I, I feel led to give you a scripture that's just come to my heart and mind sanctify yourselves. It's from Joshua 3, 5. Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord is going to do a mighty work among you. That's what this day is about, and we're going to talk about how to do that. I always pray before I read the Word of God, His Word is all that matters, and His Spirit is all that matters, not hearing me. So let's bow before our great God right now. <clears throat> Father, we thank You that You are worthy of all praise, glory, and honor all the time. That, God, by your Son's blood, we can call you Abba, Father. And, Jesus, we can come to you. We can come to the throne of grace boldly. Lord, we come now asking you take us deeper. Lord, open our eyes to how to go to another level, to be ignited with a new joy, a new passion, a new power for your glory. God, let it all be for your glory and people being saved.
So God, speak to us about how to seek you in prayer, how to surrender to you in prayer, that you may flow like a river through our families, neighborhoods, and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, now, Jeremiah 29, 11, God was speaking to his people, and frankly, they'd, they'd kind of blown it. They were in, in a sense, a time of judgment, or at least chastisement. They were imprisoned by a foreign nation. They weren't very sure about their future. Now, they had false prophets giving them false hope. But the Lord was going to leave them there in Babylon for a while. And, but he never forgets us, even when we're in a difficult time. And listen to what he said to them. And if you know him this morning, I really believe he, he may be saying this to you as well. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. In Hebrew text, that means plans. So God says, hey, I'm thinking about you, and I have plans for you, even though it's kind of difficult right now. <laughs> it's good to know God loves us even when we've blown it. He says, I have plans for you, and look what he said the plans were. I have thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future, and they hope. They weren't so sure about their future, and they didn't, they didn't deserve it, but we don't either. But that's what God's grace is for. So God is saying to this church, and He's saying to you as an individual believer, He's got a plan for you, a good plan. Well, what is that plan? That's a pretty important question. He's got a plan. What is it? Well, some people will say, well, it's to bless you. And sure, that's part of it. That's a good prayer. And some will say, well, it's to um, heal you. That's a good prayer. And he may do that, he, or he may give you grace. He, but either way, he's going to be with you. Or some say the plan is make you successful, and probably so. It may not always be money. But all those things are his plan. But, folks, really a lot better than that. His plan's a whole lot more than that. I love John seventeen three, where Jesus said to his people, he said, this is eternal life. In other words, he said, this is what your life my plan for you is really all about. And you remember what he said? It wasn't just blessing, healing, success. He said, this is what it's all about, that you may really know God and Jesus Christ whom God has sent. Now, do you know why that's so amazing? That word know in the Greek text is the same word used in marriage. <laughs> He's saying, listen, I don't want you just to have a religion. I don't want you to just go to church. He said, I want you to have a relationship with me that is so close so real that I'm realer to you, that my voice is clearer to you than your husband, wife, or best friend. He's our Father. He's our Savior, uh, our Shepherd. He said, I want you to really know me. In fact, in John 7, 38, Jesus said that about this plan. He said, if you really believe in me, and that means you really trust him and walk close, not just, not just go to church. He said, if you really believe in me, I think I've got it right. He said, a little trickle of living water might flow out of your heart every now and then. Is that what he said? <laughs> no. He said, listen, if you get, believe me, walk and abide in me, there will be rivers of living water gushing continuously out of your innermost being. Well, you say, well, what's living water? That's his spirit filling you. That's the supernatural joy that doesn't depend on your bank account, the peace that doesn't depend on your circumstances, the love for enemies that we can't work up, the love for lost people. He's saying, I will fill you, but it's all about that closeness and trust in me. It's not just being religious. It's having that close personal relationship. Now, how do we get that? How do we have more of that? Well, look back in Jeremiah 29, and he says in verse 12, if you look at verse 12, he says, then you will call upon me, 
and you will go and pray to me, and he says, I will listen to you. Isn't it awesome? God really wants to hear prayer. He wants to move in power. He's not stingy. (laughs) But the key here, he said, then. Now, some of that was a time factor. He was saying, there's going to come a time down the road. It's not going to be immediate, but I'm going to be hearing you in a whole new way. But the key was, he said, it's also the way they prayed. Then you will come to me and cry to me. Now, it's interesting because in the Greek words here, I mean, sorry, the Hebrew words, these are words of passionate prayer. Now, now listen closely. In a way, what he was saying to them, they were praying right then. Oh, they were doing a lot of praying. Oh, Lord, don't let them kill us. Oh, Lord, uh, fix our economy. Oh, Lord, get us out of this difficult situation. They were praying their heads off, but he was saying something to them. He's saying, there's going to come a time when you're praying here. You've gone from here to here. You're crying out to me. It's a different type of prayer. And in verse 13, we see what he was talking about. Look at verse 13. Um, He says, you will seek, look what he says, you will seek what? To To get free of bondage, right? No. He says, you will seek what? Me. And you'll find what? Your miracle, right? No. You'll find what? Me. When you search for what? Your blessing and goodies, right? No. He says, when your prayer life gets fervent and it gets about knowing me, surrendering to me, closeness with me, he said, I'm going to be all over your prayers. Uh, I think I even remember what Jesus said in Matthew about how you live your life and how you pray. And I think I got it right. Tell me if I got it right. He said, seek first to get your needs met and get blessed. Amen? No. (laughs) No. No, no, he said, seek first the kingdom of God, that's him and his purposes, people getting saved, marriages getting healed. Seek first him and those things, and then something else, and his righteousness. That means his name being exalted, but it also means God cleanse every corner of my heart down to my secret thoughts. That's what it means. And then he said, oh, those blessings you need, those miracles you need, you don't need to worry about that. If you'll focus on me and the kingdom and cleansing the, the power will just flow. I'll do all that. You see the, the difference? So in a way, what he was saying to them and to us, it's happened, it really can happen pretty easy in America. We don't mean to, but we drift into a type of prayer that's more about his hand than his face. You know, God fix this. God bless this. Lord, do this. But not, Lord, how do I know you? How can I surrender? How can I obey you more? That, that's what it's about. So in a way, he was saying to his children, hey, I love you. I really want to hear your prayers. I want to move in power, but I'm not a J.C. Penny catalog. <laughs> I'm to be the Lord and love of your life. You're seeking my hand, but not my face. But he's saying there's going to come a time when your prayers have gone up a little bit. And that's what he's saying to us in America now. It's time to let our prayers go up just a little bit. It's not out of reach um, because we've had a 50-year prayer movement for a great awakening and the worst moral collapse in the history of this country in the middle of 50-year prayer movement that says the prayer movement needs to go up a little, <laughs> but it can, and it is, all right? So he's telling his people, even though you're kind of maybe dry right now, maybe though you're, kind of, you're, you're hurting, you may even feel like you're being disciplined some, he's saying, I've got a plan for you. I want to pour, I want to pour the power on. I want to be more real to you. I want to fill you with supernatural joy. I want to answer prayer. I want to move mountains. I want you to see an explosion of people getting saved and marriages healed, but you have to seek me, not just my blessings. Now, how do we do that? What does that look like in our daily prayer life, okay? Well, in James 4, 8, he gives us a direct 
instruction on how, and it's another promise. If you will turn there, James 4, 8, it's a command. It says, draw near to God, but now wait a minute, isn't He already near us? Well, yeah, He's here. Doesn't He live within us? If you're saved, He does. So why would He say draw near? Well, because we can kind of drift, and we can be settled for where we are when God wants to take us higher. You know this, He always wants to take us higher. There's no coasting. Well, he says, draw near to God, and he will, not might, he will draw near to you. In other words, you may know him now in a nearer way. He's saying, I want you to know me a lot nearer, and you can. What I've seen around the world that's so exciting is when people really get a hold of what we're about to talk about, what we're about to lay out. People that may be known God 50 years, within four, five, six months, a lot of them have said, "I'm like, Greg, I'm like a different person. I've had a turning point. He's, he was real before. He's just so much more real to me now. I'm seeing so much more answer to prayer. And same thing in teenagers. In some parts of the world, teenagers are actually being used to bring revival to, to, to atheist schools, but it's because of the way they pray. So we can draw near. We can go deeper. But how do you do it? How do you have a God-seeking, heart-yielding prayer life? Look at the next part of James 4 there, 4, 8. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. But how do you draw near? Look what he says. Look what he says. Cleanse your hand sinners. And that's all of us. Cleanse your hand sinners and purify your hearts, you that are double-minded. And in verse 9, he says, you've got to really mean this. This can't be just a little phrase. This has got to be in your heart. And then he said, I will lift you up. So he's saying there's a deeper level of yielding that allows a deeper level of the fullness of the Spirit of God. A deeper level of yielding. He will never fill us beyond that which we're willing to, to empty ourselves of sin and self. Now, it's all, it's all His grace doing it, but we have to choose to do it. We have to choose to draw near to Him. Uh, let me give you a good illustration out of the Bible. Uh, his disciples are a great illustration. They, they were very imperfect. You know, they blew it a lot. <laughs> often asked the wrong questions. Often said the wrong things. But He still used them. Doesn't that give you hope? But think about the privilege they had. They got to live and walk with Jesus Christ. I mean, folks, they saw him walk across a lake in a storm. <laughs> that would get your attention. They saw him quiet that storm with one word. They saw him raise dead people that they knew were really dead. I mean, they saw him open blind eyes. People have been blind all their life, raise up paralyzed people. They saw all of that. And they heard him preach like no human had ever preached. But isn't it amazing as they watched him, they didn't say, Lord, teach us to walk on water. Or, Lord, give us a water-walking class. Or, Lord, teach us to do a miracle. Remember what they said? They finally got it. The center of his life was prayer. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray because they knew that all that power flowed from his prayer life. Now, the disciples prayed some. They, they prayed. But they knew they needed to go deeper. And do you remember what the Lord told them? And he's saying the same thing to us right now. Um, and you know the Lord never gave suggestions when he said something. It's a command, okay? But he, he gave them a command about personal prayer. Um, he said, Matthew 6, 6, he said, well, don't be like the Pharisees out there praying loud, fancy prayers that you think will impress people. He said, that won't get you anywhere. And he said, don't think vain repetitions that if you just say the same things over and over and over, uh, just the right words, that that'll get you anywhere. He said, prayer is not about just saying a bunch of words. But he did say what it is about. And, he, and then he gave a command. He said, when you pray, he said, go into the closet and shut the door. Now, that closet was a small, like a broom closet type thing. Um, so what he was saying is, get along with me. Now, don't panic. 
It doesn't have to literally be a closet. Some of our closets are so junky, we couldn't get in them, right? <laughs> so he's not saying you must pray in a closet, but he is saying, you've got to get along with me, get honest with me, no pretense, not impressing anybody. Uh, you've got to give me your undivided attention because it's a love relationship, and I deserve that. Now, you can pray in a car as long as you don't dry, close your eyes, okay, when you pray. You could pray in a, in, in a bathroom. I mean, I know some very busy uh, parents have to go to the bathroom to get some quiet time. But So God will work with you in that. And, of course, we talk to Him all day. But nothing can replace that special quiet time because He commanded us. You go in that closet and seek the Father in secret. So if you've ever wondered, am I supposed to have a real quiet time? There it is. It's a command, not a suggestion. Uh, frankly, one of the bi biggest challenges we have is our business in America. Few societies are as busy as we are. Uh, we are so busy, as a matter of fact. Did you know we've invented just about everything instant? Think, think about it. Instant coffee, instant tea, instant soup instant breakfast, instant banking. In, in Las Vegas, you've got to drive through instant weddings. I don't know about that, <laughs> but, but we're, we're very into instant things. And uh, we, we've even got instant yogurt now. Can you imagine being so lazy? Don't ask me to spoon yogurt, just let me drink it. That's pretty bad. <laughs> Glad we got it. Nothing wrong with instant yogurt. But what did happen about 40, 50 years ago we graduated toward instant quiet times that were so short, so surface, didn't have any heart yielding in them, just a little positive thought. And folks, it, it got many stuck in a level that were not totally yielded and not really growing as much. And it would be a lot like getting stuck in second gear and trying to go 100 miles an hour. You're going to burn your car up. You'll never go. Or it would be a little bit like if we're in a prayer pattern in our daily life that's just so brief. And so service are mostly about give me this and bless this and fix that. If that happens to us, it's a lot like getting inoculated. You know, you get inoculated against an illness. Do you know what actually happens? You get a weakened version that keeps you from getting the real thing. Folks, that has really happened in America where many have gravitated toward a quiet time that is so brief and so short that there's no yielding. There's no heart search. There's no real worship. Now, don't panic. It doesn't have to be a two- or three-hour quiet time, and God will guide you. You might do some in the morning, some at night, but there's five elements of prayer that, that, that are all commanded. And, and so what's happened to many believers is that the, the quiet time has stopped short of God-seeking, heart-yielding, cleansing. But here's the great news for you this morning, because as we read, we think about the Lord's Prayer. He said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're going to spend some time just praising and really worshiping Him in our quiet time. And when He said, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, notice He didn't start off with, Bless me. <laughs> it's about somebody getting saved or marriage getting healed, the church growing. It, it's, it's Him and His kingdom. And then, of course, our needs are there. Give us our daily bread. Of course, we're going to talk to God about those things. But that's third, not first. But the big one that's gotten, that's kind of hurt the power flow. It's when he said, forgive us our trespasses. And a lot of precious people get excited about that. There's my favorite prayer, Brother Greg. Lord, just forgive all my sins. That's not a bad prayer. It's a great prayer at the dinner table <laughs> or maybe the offering plate. But in that quiet time, because when he said, forgive us our sins, he also said, as 
We forgive those who trespass against us. He's saying, this is not just a little phrase. You have to yield your heart. In other words, I can't have any bitterness sitting in my heart. And I'm going to say, oh, Lord, forgive all my sins. He's going to say, what about that bitterness? Or unclean thoughts or angry thoughts, whatever it might be. But this is not just a little flippant prayer. It's a surrender. It's God, I'm giving you my heart. And oh, what a difference that makes. Here's the good news. If you just added five or ten minutes to your main quiet time of nothing but surrender, nothing but yielding, not, and a big thing is many are confessing sins generally, but not turning from sins specifically. In other words, God, forgive all my sins, but let's don't talk about what they are. <laughs> Lord, forgive all my sins, but I'm not going to name them. Or, Lord, forgive my temper again, but just, you know what, it's the same way it was six months ago. And we get in the pattern of sin, confessing the same sins over and over and over and over and over. He will forgive us, but he says if, if, if we're not moving toward repentance, that grieves the Spirit. So there's, there's some very two or three key ways that this key area of cleansing and surrender can, can get stuck in what I shared with the group last night is the 15-second error. You say, what's that? Lord, search my heart, and you have 15 seconds. <laughs> and it's probably going to take more than that, but, it, but it, again, four, five, ten minutes of just nothing but, Lord, help me surrender my temper, my unclean thoughts, my anger, my bitterness, my fear. And you know what? He'll do it. And, and when we do it that way, now He can fill us, and He can give us the power to really turn from it. So in many quiet times, the God-seeking part, the heart-yielding part, has gotten kind of marginal, watered down, and, and it keep, it, we get a weakened version that keeps us from getting the real thing. But it's, see, it's easy to fix. We're not talking about hours, five or ten minutes of surrender with Scripture. Oh, it's amazing what God will do. Let me give you two illustrations of that. Well, really three. Um, in 1990, 1989, God in mercy moved in the church I'd been pastoring for five years. And we've been on TV with all those horrible accusations for five years. Um, all the time. <laughs> it was just unbelievable. We were dying. I was dying inside. And... Um, you know, the Lord brought me back to this and, and, and showed me how I had drifted away. One time I was doing, taking that extra time, and I'd gotten kind of quick on it. And sure enough, there were some things in my heart that had built up that I wasn't even aware of. It, there were some people I said I'd forgiven, but in my heart I really hadn't. That's why Jesus said we had to forgive in the heart. And there were some people that I, that I had kind of offended. It wasn't terrible, but I thought, oh, I don't need to go to them. And when I asked God, I said, yeah, you really do. And there was two or three things that God showed me that they weren't real huge, but they were enough to hinder the Spirit. And so in 1989, he did a fresh new work. And in 1994, when I got the Lyme's disease and couldn't function, <clears throat> guess what? I needed a whole new work, and he gave it to me. See, God will always meet us. If you draw near to him, he'll take you to another level. And folks, if the Apostle Paul always needed to go to another level, we better not be coasting. <laughs> we'll always need, but we have to choose it. So in 1994, the Lord again did a fresh work in my prayer life, and that's why I've been able to continue to travel. Frankly, I feel like dirt most days, <laughs> but you can have a joy and a power even though you really feel bad, uh, but only as taking that extra time so He can really fill you and flow through you, but it's not hard. This is not something you got to do. It's something you get to do, that little extra time 
to seek his face and, and yield to his lordship. Let me give you two good illustrations in that church in Memphis. Um, as I shared with my people how to have a biblical quiet time, how to have a God-seeking heart-yielding quiet time, and, and I would say only about 15% of people really took that serious. Uh, but those that did, it was astounding what happened. When they first started, um, they took this book. It wasn't in a book form, and we don't make any money on these books. It goes to missions, and they're not expensive. But it's just full of Scripture that little by little you can let him search your heart over the next few weeks. And so they did that. They, they added that to their quiet time. And um, one of the most amazing things, they started seeing things. The very first week of, of her new prayer life, a lady named Addie walked down to the church aisle and, and prayed a little bit at the altar. And after service, she looked up to me, and she held up three fingers. And I said, why are you holding up three fingers? She said, God showed me three things this week in my life that had been hindering his spirit and blocking power. And, Greg, I had no idea they were. She said, there were some people I said I'd forgiven I really hadn't. She said, there was a TV program. It wasn't awful, but it was great freedom of spirit. And the Lord spoke to her when she let him. See, he's not going to shout most of the time. He, he wants you to come draw to him. The next week, and, and several men came. The Lord spoke to them. And this went on for about seven weeks. It, it, we did it in a seven, eight-week process. And, uh, man, I think it showed me about 11 things. And you think, well, they're not big things, but they mattered. And... But about the seventh week, Mark, I saw Miss Addie's face change in the prayer meeting. Her name was Addie. And she stood up, and she was just so full of joy. And, and she'd been praying for her son, Darren, for about three years. Every, every Wednesday night, we'd pray for Darren. And sometimes she would cry because Darren was getting worse. He was about to wreck his life. And she stood up, though, in her seven weeks in her new prayer life, she was so excited, she said, y'all keep praying for Darren, but God is going to touch my son. She was so excited. But folks, the trouble is, he was worse than ever. I mean, I thought, why is she saying that? I went to her after the service gently, <clears throat> and I said, Addie, have you seen Darren lately? <laughs> and she said, oh yeah, I've seen him. I said, why are you so happy? Listen to what she said. This is so important. She said, Brother Greg, seven weeks ago, I had an okay quiet time, prayer time. But she said it was not God-seeking. It was not the fervent prayer of a yielded heart James talks about. And she said, I'm sure not perfect, but I'm, the, when I pray now, it is just so much different. There's a power. She said, I sense his presence. And she said, I've gotten victory over those things, some of the things that were holding me back, some of my discouragement and some of my anger and, and fear. And she said... But, Greg, two weeks ago in my quiet time, God gave me two promises for my son. I've been asking him to help me pray in greater faith. And she said, I don't know how or when, but my son's going to be saved. And, Brother Greg, I believe he's going to be a minister. I thought, ooh, that's some prayer, Addie. He sure wasn't no minister. But she was serious about that. But do you see what's happened? That good lady, she was a Sunday school teacher, finally had a pretty good little quiet time, a good little American quiet time. But over a few weeks, she let God take her to a God-seeking, heart-yielding, kingdom-focused quiet time. And now he's a lot more real to her. She's filled with real joy now. And now she's praying with a whole new power now. That's what we're hoping can happen over the next month as you prepare for this revival and to pray for some people that you know they're lost, family members. And she was praying different. She said, Greg, it's just different. Now, sometimes it takes years for prayers to be answered. I don't want to exaggerate or 
but, but this was one of those quick ones. About a month later, I was up at church studying on a night, and it was kind of late, and where our church was, you didn't go to the door, if the buzzer rang, it would be a gang member to kill you. <laughs> so I heard that buzzer, and I didn't go. I got people where I could see, and, and it was Darren out there. And folks, he looked awful. He was pacing back and forth. He looked wild, and I thought, oh, no, he's on drugs. He's strung out. And I dreaded it, and I went to the door, and I said, Darren, what is it? And he just, man, he ran. He almost ran over me. I thought, he is, he's strung out. And he was running down the hall toward my office, and I, ch I was chasing after him. He got in my office. That guy was pacing like a wild animal. And he, he kept saying, I can't stand this. I can't stand this. I said, what's the matter with you? And, and he said, I don't know what's the matter with me. We went back a time or two, back and forth. And I took him by the shoulder and said, Darren, slow down. Tell me what's happening in your life. He looked at me. He said, I don't know what's wrong with me for the last three or four weeks. I can't enjoy my, my, the friends I've been running with. And he said, all I can think about is giving my whole life to Jesus Christ. And he said, I can't stand it. I want to get saved right now. And you know what he, did? he didn't even need me. He just knelt on the floor and gave his heart to Christ. <laughs> when he got up, I was looking at a new creature. That guy's face was different. His eyes were He was a saved man. Sunday morning, he ran down that church aisle. Church couldn't believe it. Addie could believe it. <laughs> and God gave him one of those beautiful singing voices you've ever heard in your life. He started a Christian band. And for several Several years, he's been one of the most faithful deacons in the Nashville, Tennessee area. And guess what happened just a few years, just a few years ago? He's ordained as a minister now. God ain't lost his power, but he's not a J.C. Penney catalog. He's to be the God of the universe. And, and if our prayers go a little deeper in the power of the Spirit, then it makes a huge difference. There was another man in my church. He was a tough guy. I mean, he really was a tough guy, but he was a Christian. He'd never had much of a prayer life, but he started a real quiet time, a, re a real one, not just a little thing on the run. And uh, he began to get a burden to pray for his friend at work. He was known as one of the meanest men in North Memphis, and that's a, that's a rough place. <laughs> and uh, he kept praying for Bill. His name was Bill. And he, boy, he was fasting for Bill, and he was praying Scripture for Bill, claiming promises for Bill. But on top of that, over those few weeks, Larry got victory. He was struggling with some wrong thoughts and things like that. And, boy, he began to get victory in that in his marriage. It was, it was tremendous, but he was believing God to touch his neighbor. And, uh, and unbelievably, it happened. One Sunday, all of a sudden, Bill showed up, and boy, he, people looked at him. They were kind of afraid of him. Is he here to rob us? <laughs> you know, and he sat on the back, and old Larry was sitting there with him with his head bowed just praying. And, and he did that for a month, and I, I never saw Bill's face. He was so guilty, he just sit back there with his head down. But about a month in, old, old Bill raised his face one Sunday morning. Boy, you could just see the tears running down his face. He was under conviction. And he got up and walked that aisle, and he came up to me, and he said, I want to give my whole life to Jesus Christ. That guy got saved. I mean, he became one of the strongest witnesses in our church. His face just glowed with the love of God. And, and, and friends, so many other things in our church happened like that. But it was through those people whose quiet times had gone from here, which wasn't bad, to here, which was God-seeking and heart-yielding. So to have the Lord ignite us, with supernatural joy and passion. See, he hates lukewarmness. He'll fill us with passion for souls, for his word, for prayer, for him. And we'll never look at a stronger prayer time as, oh, I got to do it. No, it's you get to, or that cleanse my heart, oh God. 
And so I want to do it. The Bible says in 1 John that that's not a grievous thing. It's a joyful thing. And he doesn't do it to beat us up. He already loves us as much as he can love us. It's not about our acceptance. That's all in the blood of Jesus. When you're born again, he accepts you. But this is all about the fellowship and the growth and the power. And it's not something he'll take over us like robots and make us do it. But this morning, would you be willing to say, Lord, here's what they did. I'll give you a little more time than I've been giving you. And you, many of you may not need to do that. You may be given enough time. Lord, I'll give you a little more time. I'll let you search my heart down to my secret thoughts. And Lord, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm going I'm to ask you to help me yield them and turn from them. And Lord, I'm going to ask you to help me pray for the kingdom. Pray for lost people. Pray for my marriage. Pray for my children in a way that the breakthrough comes. I'm not, I'm not going to be satisfied with just a little devotional prayer. Um, you know, there's an old saying, you'll have about as much of God as you're willing to settle for. If you're willing to stop in average, you'll live in average the rest of your life. But if you're willing to say, Lord, I want to go to a God-seeking, heart-yielding, mountain-moving prayer life, He absolutely will take you there. And He gets glory. You get changed. <laughs> Your people get changed. And so as we're looking at Ignite, this is where the ignition switch is. It's the prayer life. It's the time in yielding. The little brown book will help you do that over the next few weeks. You can just do it along with other things if you wish. This book on the quiet time, if I was going to get one, I'd get the one that says, How to Develop Powerful Prayer Life, because it's got all of it in it, and it's got some cleansing in it. So it's, it's skinny. It's not hard. It won't interfere with anything else you're doing, and you can just do that as the Lord leads you. Now, the, the final thing I say to you is that what we're seeing around the world is my husbands and wives, at least once or twice a week, really pray together. I mean, not just bless the food, bless our kids, but I mean, really go to war for the kids, pray Scripture, pray with clean hearts, claim promises. It makes an enormous difference because um, our kids and grandkids are really faced with strongholds today. Um, Gallup even did a research on this. They asked Gallup, what's the divorce rate among people uh, who, in general society, and what's the, the rate among folks that just that attend church fairly regular. And, you know, there's a difference, but it's not just too, too huge. But they did one more survey. What is the divorce rate among couples that really pray together, if not daily, very regularly, and pray with a little depth? Do you know what Gallup said? It's not me telling you, it's Gallup. Gallup said instead of a divorce rate of one out of two, it's one out of every 1,052. What a difference a real prayer life and some praying together makes. I could give you so many stories of couples that have started to deepen their prayer together and use this little blue book. The book is not the key. It's what's in the back of it. But learn how to really go to war for their kids and tear down strongholds in their kids and see the most amazing thing. And sometimes that takes years. So none of this is magic. But uh, I want to close this service. Number one, to tell you, I'm really excited about your future, uh, the vision that you have, the way God's blessed you to have that land almost paid for. Uh, there's so much potential here. But to whom much is given, much is required. But here's the question I want to close with. Do you have a Darren? It may not be a Darren, but a, a Sally or, or an Alice or a Johnny. 
But do you have loved ones in your life that you've prayed for and there's not been a breakthrough? Or I really hope you've got people at work you're praying for. I really hope you've got people at school or wherever, at the, at the grocery store. Because, folks, if all we're praying for is me and mine, that's not good because he's all about the kingdom. But this morning, here's the question. Do, do you have a daring, somebody you're really praying for and want to see them saved? And, and frankly, in many of our lives, Part of our daring is in here. Anger may have a grip on you. Fear may have a grip on you. Unclean thoughts may have a grip on you. Some have it. And you prayed, but you know, it's still there. You haven't seen the breakthrough yet. So do you have a daring, whether it's a person or something in here? Most of us, in honesty, would say, yeah. Don't be embarrassed about that. Now, here's the real question. Does your daring have an addy yet? In 1989, she knelt at the altar. You don't, have to, you don't have to do that. You can do it right there where you are. But she knelt and she said, God, I'm committing to give you a little more time to pray where I can really yield my heart to you. And, Lord, I'm committing to pray for kingdom things like my church and this revival and, and people. And, Lord, give me a greater faith and a greater power to pray the effective, fervent prayer like you talk about. And she committed to pray through these scriptures. Do you think the Lord will answer those three prayers? He absolutely will. He said he would. You draw near to me like that, I'll draw near to you. And folks, seven weeks later, her son was gloriously saved. Now, it may be seven years. I'm not trying to tell you it's going to happen in seven weeks. But our church was changed. People's quiet times changed. Some of them started praying together in a prayer group, but they prayed like this. They prayed for those souls, for getting over some stronghold. And, uh, oh, the power of God, what He did, how He grew that church in the middle of the worst, worst circumstances. And He got all the glory because it was people just bowing. Well, here's the great news this morning. Um, you can do this. It's not many, it doesn't take a whole lot of extra time. It just takes a little different pattern, maybe, and the book will show you. And I am so excited about this devotions that have been written by your own members. I've only known one of the church that did that. That says God's saying things to you. When the work of God comes out of your hearts, all oh, those devotions are going to be very special, along with other things you'll do. So there's hope. And don't let the devil tell you, well, I'm too old to make any real changes now. I've seen people really old <laughs> make some simple changes in the last three or four years of their life. Give back years locusts have eaten away. I've seen teenagers make these changes. Busy people in the middle have never even had a quiet time. Start one. And within a few weeks, they're different people. Because when you seek God, you find Him if you seek Him this way. Well, whatever your need is, there's hope. If it's to see a loved one saved, a heart set on fire again, maybe you're beat down and tired and lukewarm, he can ignite you, and he wants to, all for his glory. He is looking for a church to sit down on and do a mighty work. Why not you? It's already in your pastor's heart, and it's in your heart. Let's bow before God. With every head and heart bowed. Now, I know how the devil works. He'll tell you, well, you don't have time to do what he's talking about. That's a lie because this is not that much time involved, and he'll work, you can work it into your schedule. It's not a program. It'll look a little different each slide. 
The devil will tell you, well, you're just, you just got too many problems. You failed too much. Folks, if the apostle Peter could deny even knew him and then give the Lord, give the, the message on the day of Pentecost, he can turn you around. Or you say, Brother Greg, I'm just too old. Brother Greg, I'm just too young. Brother Greg, I'm just too busy. Brother Greg, I'm just too dry. If you this morning will do what Addie did and what Larry did and say, Lord, help me give you a little more time. Would you do that right now just between you and God? Lord, help me not rush you. Help me stop the little devotions that are so short that there's no cleansing. Help me give you a little more time. Right now, would you commit that to God? God, I'm going to show up. I'm going to shut my door. Whatever that means, I'm going to give you some quality time. Would you do that right now? Tell him that. And ask him to help you mean it. And Lord, I'm going to let you search my heart with those scriptures a lot deeper. I want to give you my heart. I want to yield to your lordship. Would you right now ask him, Lord, help me yield to your lordship. Search my heart, God. Take me to another level. And Lord, would you help me pray with greater power, greater faith, greater fervency? Lord, I don't want to just say words. Ask him, Lord, take me to another level of power in prayer. Folks, I'm not trying to scare you, but our kids <clears throat> really are at, at stake. Our kids and grandkids are at stake. It matters how we pray. Our church is at stake. No speakers can bring a revival. It takes this prayer. And your, your pastor knows that. You know that. Right now, God, I'm committed to seek you with all my heart. I like what Addie said at the altar to God. She said, Lord, I'm not going to quit to my daring saved. Would you say that to God? I'm not going to quit till my blank, whatever that is, is different. Lord, till I'm different, till I'm on fire again, till our church is in revival, I'm not quitting God till you get glory. Would you commit that to God right now? And commit to read these 12 very special devotions written by your own people. Lord, we believe you to use that. So, Father, thank you for this day. And we give this time to you, Lord. And with your heads and hearts still bowed, if there's anyone here that you, you know God's told you to join this church, or, or above all, you know, Greg, I don't know that I've really been saved. The plan of God starts with knowing that you're saved, that you've been born again, that you've given your life to Jesus. If you have any doubt about that and you sense God's drawing you to that, there will be staff that can talk with you after this service. Please don't leave here without telling someone, I need to pray. I need to get it settled. Whatever decision you may need to make, the staff will be here after the service to help you. You've prayed now in your seats right there those prayers I trust. Let it be real, and God will make it real. Father, thank you for the vision you've given us. Thank you for the promise you've given us. Thank you that we are going to know you in a whole new way that you are going to meet us in a whole new way. And thank you in advance for the Darrens and the, and the Bills that are going to be saved and, and Christians revived and set on fire in prayer and holiness and evangelism. For we ask these things in faith. In Jesus' blessed holy name, amen.